You're listening to episode 140 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about the super powerful self-coaching question, so what? Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Hey, hey, crazy humans. I am here in Hawaii getting ready for the fall 2022 cohort of the Adventure Mastermind to show up on Thursday for their final retreat in their six-month program. It has been awesome planning our adventures, like surfing and playing with manta rays. And I always have like a plan A, B, and C in case of weather changes and things. And thinking about all the beautiful places I want to head out to for our coaching sessions. And there are some amazing new spots I found that are like these hidden little gems. I just love this island. It's so magical. So anyway, I was thinking about like, when I was coaching this current cohort of the Adventure Mastermind, because the next one starts um, in February. And I was just noticing that there's a common theme of people sharing stories or worries or concerns about what an outcome of something might be, right? Yet when we do that, right, it's kind of spoken in a way that's like expecting others to agree it's a big fucking deal, right? And this isn't just in the Adventure Mastermind. This is what I see like in many coaching calls, like in Freedom School and with my one-on-one clients too. It's just something our human brains do. So it's like, well, if I do that, my partner will get mad. Or if I tell the truth, I'm going to hurt their feelings. Or I might not film my program. Or I will have to move or I might lose my job. And it's like, these are often told in a way where we're supposed to, where we're expected to listen and be like, yeah, that sounds fucking scary. But my response is often something that can be sort of jarring, but it's intended to be because it's really important that when we tell a story, we separate out the facts from our perceptions. And a good coach does you no favors by buying into your story, right? We can agree with facts, but if we're buying into your story, that is not that helpful. So what I often ask is, so what? So what if that person thinks X, Y, or Z of you? So what if that happens? Another way of asking that is, so what are you making that mean? And usually it's, what are you making that mean about you and your worthiness or your lovability? Yeah. Now, there are for sure situations where the consequence is epic, like losing a job could be devastating and cause myriad problems for the family and could lead to homelessness. But often the things that we think would be catastrophic aren't actually as huge as we make them out to be, as what we make them mean. So I'm not saying to be reckless, but I am saying let us take a step back and see what our mind is doing in terms of what it's choosing to perceive. And asking, so what, 
helps us do that. So hang in there with me. Now, one of the things that's important for you to remember about your brain is that it's a very advanced machine that can take in a lot of information. So if you think about all the information that could be entering our senses from all the sounds around us, like I'm sitting here, I'm in Hawaii, I can hear the ocean, I can hear, uh, if I focus, I can hear birds outside. If I focus really hard, I can hear cars. I can hear people partying on the beach sometimes. So, you know, but if I heard that all to the degree that was possible, it would be overwhelmed, right? There's no way that our brains can be constantly processing all of that all of the time. It would get overloaded. So what our brain does is it has to filter out what's important so that it notices only what's important. So for example, if I look out right now and I'm recording this in my little work booth in my studio in Hawaii and I can see the ocean and the waves are huge today, I also see birds and boogie boarders, and I don't see all the different kinds of birds and all the little details of their wings and whatnot right now. Like my brain isn't paying attention to that right now. I'm not having like a birding session, right? Now, I'm also not paying attention to what every single boogie boarder is doing. Like I'm not paying attention to what color their boards are, not paying attention to what their board shorts <laughs> are that they're wearing or the exact lineup that they picked, right? Now, if I were an avid, bodyboarder or something, and my brain was trained to look at them all in that way, I probably would notice all of the brands of their boards and board shorts and whatnot. Or if I was a committed bird watcher, I'd probably notice all the little sounds each bird makes and all the subtle differences between the birds. And I, I am getting better at bird identification. It's not my forte right now, but if it were, I would just notice those details more because I will have decided that's something I want to make more important to notice, right? I do notice different plants. So when we're out, I notice different bushes and teeny tiny blossoms because I'm training myself to notice those things. And I'm starting to see more of the different birds as I up my naturalist game. But my friend who's more into noticing outfits people are wearing would notice that and maybe not the natural stuff, right? So what you tell your brain is important is what it looks for. And then it kind of ignores everything else. It doesn't spend a lot of time processing it as important. It has to do this though, right? Or we'd get overloaded and we wouldn't even be able to function. Now, there are lots of theories about why we can remember things that we weren't even paying attention to later because they, they just aren't being processed through our more conscious brain, which I think is so cool. The idea that you can be kind of hypnotized and go back and notice things that you didn't notice before because they weren't as important to you. So, so they weren't like brought into the forefront of your consciousness, right? I also remember a study that I first heard in my coach training about where they had people at a university walk up to a counter and ask for a specific form. And they were told this is a very important form to get, make sure it's the right one. And the person behind the counter said, yeah, just a minute. And they bent down to get the form and a different person stood up and gave them the paper. What's crazy is most people didn't even notice that it was a different person and that the person looked completely different. They didn't even try and make them look the same. Isn't that fascinating? And you may have heard of the gorilla experiment. There's a relatively famous psychological experiment where people are playing basketball and they're, the um, participants are told to I, I forget count how many baskets they made or how many dribbles each team is making or something. I forget. 
But in the meantime, this huge gorilla, like a person in a huge gorilla outfit, dances across the stage. They don't even run across. They're like dancing and doing things and keep moving. And nobody notices. I mean, obviously, okay, so there's like a very small percentage of people notice that this gorilla was there. Most people didn't even register that this huge gorilla went across the stage in the background of this basketball game. And when you watch the actual video, I'm sure you can YouTube this experiment. It's like not like it's way in the distance. Like they was right there on the court (laughs) with the people playing basketball, just passing through the background there, right? So the brain just doesn't think certain things are important, right? So in the first experiment I talked about, just getting the form is. And in the second one, I talked about counting whatever they were asked to count, right? And I suppose this can also show us how checked out a lot of us can be, right? But for some of us, for example, if you're super styly, if the person that ducked under the counter had a really cute outfit on and the outfit changed, maybe you'd notice that. I think I'd notice if someone's race changed, right? Or maybe if there's a piece of jewelry that caught my eye, I'd notice if the person that popped up didn't have it on or their voice change. I pay a lot of attention to voice. So if you noticed that maybe they look like someone you knew, then yeah, you might notice a shift there. So if the brain finds it important and significant, it's going to notice. And how does it decide what's important and significant? We have to decide what's important and significant. That's what our brain will notice. So some things are imprinted with traumatic events, right? Like it's in a survival situation where we are threatened, the brain will be like, fucking let's not let that happen again. And it gets programmed to pay attention to certain ways people move or certain situations. But with so many other things, we decide what's important and significant. And actually, you know, in trauma therapy, we can uh, decondition the response to some of those triggers as well, right? So the reason this matters is because most of us don't intentionally take conscious time and effort to tell our brain what is significant and important to look for. We do it subconsciously, Because we always have a story running in the background, but we don't consciously do it. So we go into default mode based on what's important according to the old story that's running in the background. But our brain has to be told what matters to us. We have to say, hey, this is what matters. If it's not told, it's just going to go into default mode. And our brain also continually looks for evidence to prove those old beliefs and stories. The confirmation bias you've heard me talk about, right? So for example, I'm working with a lot of clients right now in Freedom School, which by the way is amazing. And a lot of them have these belief systems that they can't stop buffering with alcohol or food. And so their brain is constantly looking for evidence, constantly seeking and finding evidence that they can't cut back or eat more healthfully because that's basically a belief system that the brain wants to prove true right? It likes to be efficient. It likes to make sure that it's on the right track by gathering data. And if there's any data out there that confirms it, it sticks with that. And a lot of them believe that they're failures and that they won't be able to succeed in these areas. So they're constantly finding evidence for that to be true and seeking it often unconsciously. But when we do thought work, we bring that more into our conscious awareness, which is super helpful. This happens even when there's evidence to the contrary, but they don't see that evidence because their brain is being told to filter it out. 
So let me break this down a little bit. So if we're going to walk into a room together and I'm like, hey, this is the most gorgeous place. You're going to love it. You're going to love how amazing it is. And I walk in there with that expectation. My brain will be looking for the beauty. Now, if someone is like someone that I don't really like their sense of style or taste and they're like, oh, wait till you see, this is the most gorgeous room. Maybe my brain goes, yeah, right. I'll be the judge of that. And then it's going to be looking for the opposite. And when I tell someone you can absolutely cut back on alcohol and they doubt me, they're going to be looking for evidence that it isn't true instead of looking for evidence that it is true. And it's really helpful when we're aware of what our brain is looking for. What is it trained to see? What have we trained it to see? This is mindfulness of thoughts. When we think about the four foundations of mindfulness, this is an example of mindfulness of thoughts. So we can ask ourselves, have I consciously and purposefully decided to make this important or am I operating in my default mode? Often from somewhere in our childhood or past traumatic experience, right? Now, the reason this matters so much is humans don't do things because it makes sense or because it's rational. We're driven by how we think something will make us feel and the motivational triad, right? To seek pleasure, avoid pain, do what's easy. And so we want to feel less pain and to feel more comfort and ease. Even people that you see on those survival shows and shit, like alone and whatnot, it may like it may look to you like, well, that's not very easeful. But if you talk to most of the people on that show, they usually find those struggles way easier than sitting at a desk in a temperature-controlled room or having a mortgage for a comfortable house, right? So even though you'd be like, well, why are they choosing such uncomfortable situations? Well, for them, they feel better in those situations. So this is how we've evolved to survive. We seek pleasure. We seek our version of comfort, right? And back then, doing that kept us safe, helped our species survive. That's why we reproduce, because we're looking for pleasure. It's why we eat, to take away the discomfort of hunger pangs and to provide the pleasure from food or from feeling full. And we're constantly moving towards pleasure and comfort. And like I said, that has helped us get to where we are now, right? And this is very helpful when shit actually is in a survival situation in life, right? But not so much when when we aren't in survival mode in real life. We have to make sure that we've trained ourselves to create the feelings that we want. If our thoughts are constantly creating our feelings, we want to be aware of what we're choosing to think. Most of us have no idea what we're choosing to think, myself included. We're just feeling whatever we're feeling on default. And like, so... I mean, man, if I didn't meditate, I'd be a fucking mess. I mean, more of a mess than I am now. (laughs) And so like, what are the things that help us turn off that default mode network? Yeah, meditation, mindfulness, psychedelics. There's many things that can help us turn that off. But also the awareness. The awareness helping us see when we're in default mode helps us shift out of it. So Any circumstance that happens in your life, anything that you're confronted with, anything you face in your life is going to cause you to have a thought about it. It's how our brains work, right? It assesses the situation, creates an opinion about it, a perception. And this is determined by what thought we have about it, which is influenced by the way our brain filters information through, hmm, what should I capture here? What's important? And this 
has us arriving at an expectation, a conclusion, a thought, and therefore our feelings. And this is why a lot of us can feel the same way a lot of the time because we're constantly looking for thoughts and evidence for those thoughts that lead us to feeling the same way because it's evidence for the same old belief. And this confirmation bias wants us to just say, look, I know this is uncomfortable, but, but if I'm right here, at least we know what we're dealing with. So we're looking for confirmation of that same old belief. Our brain likes to be efficient. It likes to think the same thoughts over and over and over and over and doesn't care if the thoughts make you feel good or bad. It just wants to be good at what it does and find evidence that what it's doing is right and true. And that's where we come in and we get to decide, okay, if my brain doesn't care what it thinks, then I get to decide what it's going to think. I want to feel more pleasure than unnecessary suffering. So I'm going to work on my brain in a way that will create more pleasure in my thinking than pain because I'm no longer in survival mode, right? If that's true, right? This doesn't apply if you're actually in survival mode. So many of the thoughts that I choose to think can change my entire experience of life on this planet as I know it today, right? So one of my favorite questions to ask myself if I'm suffering is, why am I choosing thoughts that create suffering for me right now? And sometimes that's something I want to keep choosing, but often I'm like, fuck it. I've had cancer twice. Life is short. I choose happiness and ease in this moment. Or even if I can't stretch to happiness, I choose alignment. I choose to at least be in alignment. When we're doing any work on ourselves, and we come up against a challenging experience, we start to freak out about possible outcomes or feel really intense about something that's happened, one of the most powerful things we can ask ourselves is, actually, so what? The reason this is a powerful question is that when we ask ourselves this question, it shows us what's going on in our brains, our thoughts. So, I'm a pretty intense person and don't like to fuck around with small talk, right? Like I was with a friend I don't spend that much time with and we were walking around a lake to catch up. And within a couple of minutes, I asked her, hey, how was it to have recently been with a friend of ours who was dying? Um, And I couldn't go visit. I They were out of state and I had a little baby at the time and was working full time. And she was like, whoa, no warm up, huh? That's kind of intense to just ask me a question like that. And she was really put off by it. But For me, I was like, yeah, our friend is dying and I want to know how our things actually don't give a shit about your car or your house project, right? So afterwards, I spin myself this whole story, right? Oh, she's going to talk shit about me and tell people I'm so intense and don't even know social norms of warming up in conversation and shit. And then people will agree and not want to hang out with me because most people want to just relax and not go into deep shit. So this threw me for a while, but then I asked myself, so what? So what am I making that mean? Even if that actually happens, because I'm spinning about this possibly happening, right? Of her talking shit. But like, what if this even actually happens? Or like, what did actually happen? Like her being put off by it. What am I making it mean about me or my friendships? Now, this is why this is so important. Because that in and of itself might be a fact. She may tell people that and they may respond in kind or, and and she did get put off by it. And then I can feel shitty about it and spin about it. Or I can ask myself, 
so what? Immediately just asking myself that completely sets me free because it makes me realize that everything after that question, all of my responses to that is just the story that I've been playing. It's not reality. It's not facts. And when I ask that, I realize, actually, for me, it's okay for people not to like me. It's okay for people not to like my intensity. It's okay for people to tell other people that they don't like me. It's fine. All of it's okay. I don't need to make that mean anything about me. I certainly don't need to use that information to make myself feel like shit. And I can say, so what? It's okay. I can decide it means I will find friends who love me for my authentic self. You know, we can be the juiciest strawberry on the vine and there's always going to be someone that doesn't like strawberries or that are straight up allergic to them, right? And that's okay, right? Not everyone has to like strawberries. Everyone definitely doesn't have to like me, nor does everyone like me, right? I'm not like normal. I can be loud. I can be way energetic. I can be intense and rude and cut you off when you talk because I'm so passionate about what I talk about often. Like, I feel like what I have to say really is that important. And I get nosy and I want to ask you lots of questions about yourself. And then I might even ask if I can tell your story on the podcast, right? So you're either going to love that about me and want to hang out and we'll have an awesome time together, or you're going to think I'm way over the top and too intense and you're not going to want any part of it. The thing that's so fascinating about this for me is I was feeling upset about who I am and making up all this evidence that I have for these belief systems about me being too intense or too much. And I was looking for evidence and finding it. And that's true for all of us, right? So next time you're upset, tell yourself your story and then say to yourself, so what? Like, tell it really, like, with detail and flair. Like, there were these people, they totally don't like me, and that pisses me off, and I don't like that she said that, and I wish she would have just understood why I asked, and what the fuck? That's so bitchy like high school. Why do they have to say things like that, right? That's what my brain does. And then we can hear it out and say, okay, so they don't like you when you're intense. So what? What are you making that mean? And then we can tap into freedom because then I have access to my own brain and I see, oh shit, this is optional. Now, the other thing that's really important about asking so what is then we can start to see our default mode. You know, what are the old stories and the old belief systems? You know, we can take a handful of very different situations and make them all mean the same thing, right? Like I have this situation with my friend who didn't like how I was, might tell our friends. So I made that mean I'm too much. I'm too intense, right? My first husband, like looking up, oh, like what's wrong with her? Why is she so intense? Like thinking I had some diagnosis and then, you know, and then we eventually got divorced. Like, okay, I'm too much. I'm too intense. I had somebody tell me, oh, like, like you're too loud or you interrupt too much, right? Oh, okay. I'm too intense. I have situations where, you know, we're hanging out in a group and then people might walk away and I'll be like, oh, I wonder if it's because I'm too intense. 
It doesn't matter. The situations are all very different, but I make them all mean, oh shit, am I too intense? Isn't that interesting? So I even have so much evidence that counters that, right? So many people that I love hanging out with, that love to hang out with me, that love my work, tons of friends and people who tell me, oh, I love how you just don't fuck around and you just drop right in, right? Like I have my friend, um, Joe, who like at every party that he's at, I just beeline towards Joe because we drop right into like, how's your meditation practice and what fucking realms has your mind been in lately? <laughs> and I'm just like, that's what I'm into, dude. I'm going to beeline for Joe and we're going to talk about deep shit so I don't have to talk about the weather or traffic or something, right? And Joe fucking loves it too, right? So he's my buddy. I'm always looking for evidence in some ways that I'm too intense and too much. So I have to be aware of that, right? Because I can use so many different things to support that belief, to create evidence for that belief. And I'm more likely to do that if I'm comparing myself a lot or not taking good care of myself, not getting good sleep or having my meditation practice be solid, right? It can make the story seem really true. And there's so many of us that have that similarity, right? We can make really different situations that happen in very different contexts mean the same thing. And a lot of us have these ideas that we're a failure, so we look for evidence and find evidence for failure in all these different ways, all the things that we do. Some of us believe we're badasses, and we look for evidence that we're a badass in everything we do. So even when there's evidence to the contrary, in either direction, we see what we want to see. And I think there's so much power in the mindfulness of our thoughts. Becoming aware. Awareness precedes change. Becoming aware of our belief systems, our default mode, right? And one of the best ways we can do this to show ourselves our mind is if something upsetting happens and we create a story about it, if we ask ourselves, so what? What am I making it mean? I'm probably making it mean some negative thing that I've had in my life, this story that I've replayed over and over, right? The brain wants to explain things. It wants to prove itself true. And it's going to like eliminate things that don't support it, which is like counter to any kind of debate team, right? Like like we see in Tibetan Buddhism, the, the debates in the courtyard, like people are trying to disprove Buddha's theory just as passionately as the person arguing against them, right? And if you were on the debate team, like you would argue for affirmative action and be ready to argue against it just as passionately, Right. We have to have equal evidence and equal passion and equal effort. But most of us don't even consider the other side. We don't consider, well, what if that is more important for me to focus on? We just find evidence for what we want to prove true in our default mode. So it takes intentionality to make a decision about what we want to make important what we want our brains to focus on, right? So it can be great when we're looking for evidence for things that help us feel empowered and positive, but we have a lot of thoughts and stories in our brains 
about things that aren't true and not helpful and brings us a lot of unnecessary suffering, right? So I could have one story about my life where, man, I grew up super poor and, you know, with an abusive parent and the parent with serious mental illness and was sexually assaulted and was made fun of because I didn't have as much money as my peers growing up, you know, when I was at these fancy schools on scholarship and things like that. And boy, that fucked me up, right? Or I could be like, yeah, all those things happened and I'm a fucking amazing coach as a result. So yeah, it took me a little bit to catch up financially, but I did it. I overcame it and I fucking did it, right? What's the difference in these two stories? It's what I'm looking for. It's the evidence. The first one is very victim-y, right? But the other way, it's like, I'm a fucking badass. I'm a heroine of my heroine's journey. And my challenges gave me everything I needed to be able to live this amazing life I have now. You know, holy shit, I have a house in the mountains and a house on the beach, a home on the beach. It's more a studio, 450 square foot studio than a house, but it's fucking on the beach. (laughs) It's like, holy shit, I did that, right? So the same is true when you look at everything that happened in your life. We can ask ourselves, so what? You know, in freedom school, we take the whole month of June, I think it is, to work on writing our new life story. It's based on, so what? So what do I want to make all that mean? All the shit that's happened in past relationships, marriages, in my life, with kids, career, everything. So what? What am I making it mean? You get to tell the story. That's one of the bonuses of this prefrontal cortex that we have as a human, right? We get to choose the meaning that we want to give to everything. We can make it mean something amazing and uplifting, or we can make it mean something that brings us down and doesn't give us the energy to make the changes we want in the world. You know, I can make this 450 square foot studio I live in a complete refuge, an oasis, a cherished gift that I finally created a situation where I have a home in the mountains and on the beach like I dreamed of 15 years ago, or I can make it mean wow, I can't afford something nicer, you know, where my husband and kid and myself, where we could have privacy. And this is just evidence, like I'll never really make it or be able to be really comfortable. I could choose either one and make either one feel just as true as the other. So no matter what's going on in your life, let's try asking ourselves, so what? Right? What am I making it mean? And what do I want to make it mean? That's completely up to you. And I actually find this really helpful in day-to-day things. Like, I look at my husband. He doesn't stress as much as I do at all. Like, he'll send our daughter to school and forget to give her a coat. And then the school will call. And he'll be like, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to go bring her a coat. And I'd be like, oh, my God, I forgot to give her a coat. It would be, like, so stressful for me. Like, yes, he does this even in an Alaska winter, right? Or he'll show up to things way late. He'll forget to pack something, but oh, well, he just deals with it or not. And everything is still okay in the end. And I started to ask, okay, so what if this wasn't as big of a deal as I think it is? What if what I'm making it mean is optional? 
So I'm late to a meeting because I had to tend to my kiddo. So what? Someone cut me off in traffic. So what? I gained five pounds. So fucking what? I had to pay a $25 late fee. So what? What are we making it mean? And what do we want to make it mean? Listen, Rebel, you get to tell your brain what to do. You get to tell it to focus on whatever you want and to let go of the things that aren't serving you, right? Where tension goes, energy flows. Just like rose-colored sunglasses, you get to choose the filters through which your brain sees things. This doesn't mean I'm encouraging you to bypass reality or to filter out hard truths and injustices or to ignore facts. No one is asking you to throw out discernment or common sense here. What this does mean is that, hey, there are some things we can change and some things we can't. We are blessed as rebel humans to be able to change our thoughts and feelings and actions with more agency than many other species. As Shanti Davis said in the Bodhisattva's Guide to the Way of Life, if you can change something, why be unhappy? If you can't change something, why be unhappy? So we fucked up. Oh, well, so what? What do we want to make that mean? Because it doesn't mean we suck at it or unworthy or unlovable, which is often the default stories we fall into. So they broke up with us. So what? What do we want to make it mean about who we are and our lovability? Self-compassion helps a lot here because things can hurt and we deserve to tend to our hearts. And when we have tended to our hearts, we can then look up and ask, so now what? What am I going to make this mean? And I highly, highly recommend choosing a meaning that creates less unnecessary suffering for you. Life is too short not to, my friends, and unnecessary suffering is optional. If you like what you heard, please spread the love and share it. And if you know you need some help with this and want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, go to rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist Toolkit, where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience access to the private Rebel Buddhist group where I do weekly live sessions on topics just like this and a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto and more for free. That's rebelbuddhist.com.